last week at exactly 10.13 a.m., I had the illusion of thinking I was smart enough to program this digital clock up here without any kind of instructions, and I say it's an illusion because it's obvious I didn't know because it's still set to 10.13. It's been hanging there for over a week, or almost a week, I guess. We're a little two hours shy of a week, so that'll give me something to do between services today is figure out the digital clock up here. Have you ever just stepped back and, and looked down the road and thought about the way you want people to remember you? What do, what do you want to be known for? Like when, it, when it's all said and done, when you've passed from this life, what do you want people to think about when they think about your name, when they think about Todd Meadows? What do I want them to remember? Epitaphs are interesting. Some are funny. Some are profound. Some make you scratch your head. Here are a few that you might consider. Mel Blanc, I don't know if you know who this guy is. He's the voice of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig. His tombstone reads, that's all, folks. Jack Lemon, you remember Jack Lemon? Grumpy old man, grumpier old men. A famous actor, his tombstone simply says, In, as though he's in another movie. Jack Lemon, In, and that's it. Merv Griffin, the famous talk show host, states this I will not be right back after this message. And the astronomer, Johannes Kepler, his tombstone reads, I used to measure the skies, now I measure the shadows of earth. Although my mind was skybound, the shadow of my body lies here. All, all of these individuals buried with a statement above them that gives us a glimpse of their life. It, it causes us to think about who they were, what they were known for, what they devoted their lives to. And so I want to ask that question in, in a little different way this morning. Maybe a, a more personal way at one level, maybe a, a larger way on another level. When we get to the end, when the history for Grace Baptist is written and completed, what do we want our church to be known for? What do we want people to remember Grace Baptist for? I, I think you're like me. I, I want Grace to be known as a church committed to God's glory. I want grace to be known of as a church that lifts high the name of Christ, that, that people think about us and think that is a body of people who exalt the name of Jesus Christ, who lift high and live for His glory. And they do that because they love Him. They love God supremely above all other things. They love God. And I, and I want grace to be known as a church that is, that is rich in fellowship, that is that it, is, it experiences a special kind of unity that people walk through the doors and they just sense something different because A, the presence of the Lord and B, because the people here just love one another. That, that we would be a people who, who have experienced the love of God knowing that He died for us, that He has made us His own, that, that we would step back and be amazed that He has made us His own, that He has set His love upon us. And that amazement, that profound sense of being loved by God compels us and drives us to love one another in a special way. But that's not it. That's not all. Do, do we want to be known as a church that 
that exists for the glory of God? Yes. Do we want to be a church that exists because we love one another deeply and people would know and look and say they love one another in a very special way? Yes. But there's more. There's more. I want us to be known as a church that is zealous about reaching the nations for the gospel, for Christ. I want us to, to be a church that when we come back over and over and over again to the passage that, that Pastor Michael read in Psalm 67, that we see that and it stirs our hearts. That we would genuinely see that and reflect and go, God bless us because we want to see the nations rejoicing in you. That we would be a church that tirelessly runs to the lost. We don't sit back and we don't throw stones at them. We don't judge them. But we take the gospel to them. We love them. We serve them. And we share the life-giving message of hope that is in Christ. That's what I want us to be made known for. That's what I want people to remember that, that when they take a microscope and they they dissect Grace Baptist Church and they peel all the layers away and they look and they, they look really carefully that the strands of DNA that make us up would be that we are a church that loves God, loves one another and seeks to reach the world with the gospel. That that would just be who we are, that you cannot come in contact with us without knowing that we love God, love one another and we long to reach the world. That's the DNA of Grace Baptist. And so today, and the next two weeks after this, we're going we're to set our sights on this last strand of DNA, reaching the world. Reaching the world. What does it mean? What does it look like? What does it require of me? How, do, how does a desire to reach the world, if I am genuinely seeking and I'm genuinely longing, that it's a genuine concern in my life to see the world reach for the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that is my desire... How might that change my future? How might that speak into the way I approach my business? How might that speak into the way I approach my education? How might that change the way I approach the raising of my children? The living out of my marriage? My friendships? My relationships with my neighbors and the lost? You see, as, as the people of God, we are those who embrace the mission of God. But where we start today is this. Is if we are going to embrace the mission of God, we have to get the message of God right. We have to get the message of the gospel right. And so that brings us to our question. What are we reaching the world with? Loving God, loving one another, reaching the world. What are we reaching the world with? Are we reaching them with money? Are we reaching them with good deeds? What are we reaching them with? See, this is the place we have to begin because this is the place that the integrity of the gospel can be lost. We can quickly lose the message. We can lose sight of the message. And when we lose sight of the message, then we confuse the mission. The message gets confused when it becomes clean up your act, get religious. Come to church, be a good person, follow the rules. The message gets confused when it turns into mere social work or philanthropy or just alleviating poverty. All of which are good things. But none of which are the life-changing, life-transforming good news of the gospel. 
We can't lose the message. We can't confuse the message. We have to keep in mind that our message brings life to the soul and has eternal implications. The task is timely. It is time-consuming, but it has an impact on eternity because it is the message of Jesus Christ and the fact that there is salvation in no other but the name of Jesus Christ. That's our task. And that's our message. Turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you turn there, many of you know that Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth is interesting. We read the two letters that he wrote to the Corinthians and we find all sorts of interesting dialogue and interchanges. The first section of 2 Corinthians is a section where Paul is defending his ministry he's defending his ministry and we're, we're going to pick up in chapter 4 this morning because it's a passage where as Paul defends his ministry it's a passage that gives us clarity of what his ministry is about and I think it'll speak clarity into us when we think about what is our message what's the importance of the message so I want to read starting in verse 1 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 Paul writes therefore Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, when, when Paul sets back and he defends his ministry and he, he comes to writing this portion of the letter to the Corinthians, he is able to, to defend his ministry because Paul was a man who was laser-focused on the gospel. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, we, we hear Paul say, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was laser-focused on the gospel. It, it was this laser focus that led him at the end of his life to look back and, and to get to the end and, and to say this. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, Paul knew that he had stood on the gospel. Paul knew that he didn't waver from the message. He knew that he didn't taint it. He didn't water it down. He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He clung to the gospel. He defended the gospel. And so when he got to the end, he was able with integrity to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so when he writes to the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians 4, and he defends his message, he points to gospel integrity. He points to how they have ministered the gospel. And he begins in verse 1. 
by saying, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What is the root of his ministry? The root of his ministry is what? The mercy of God. The, the privilege and responsibility that he had as a minister of the gospel was a result of God's work in his life. The, the privilege and responsibility that we have here at Grace Baptist to reach the world, to be focused on going and telling people the gospel, that privilege, that responsibility is a result of God's mercy in our lives. If, if you look back in chapter 3, verse 14, he, he says that their, their minds are hardened for to this day when they read the, read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Only through Christ is it taken away. In verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord. Paul, Paul understands that it's a result of God's mercy in his life that he has min uh, the ministry that he's in, that he's taking part of, that he's leading out in, that he's defending. It's God's work of mercy. It's God's work of mercy in Paul. It's God's work of mercy in our life. Look at the, the last statement he, there, he makes there in, in verse 1. We do not lose heart. Now, why would he say this? Why, why would Paul say, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart? It, it, it might, in your translation, might say we don't grow weary or we don't get discouraged or we won't give up. Why would Paul say this? Why, why would he feel the need to say we're not going to give up? Well, it's because of what we read in verse 14 of chapter 3 that, that the minds of the people were hardened. They were veiled, chapter 3 talks about. That, see, he says that the letter kills in verse 6 of chapter 3. He, um, God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. He's talking about the veil that comes over those who are focused on just the law, who have not come to know Christ. That the people are hardened. And we understand that, that when one is hardened, when the mind is hardened, it's hard to convince them. It's hard to change the mind of one who is hardened. And it can be quite discouraging. It can be very discouraging. It's kind of like when I try to train our dog. Pedro is a really, really smart dog. But I'm trying to throw a toy and get him to bring it back to me. How hard can that be? Apparently, it's pretty difficult for me. And I get discouraged. He's hard-headed. He's very intelligent. He has us trained. He goes to the door and whimpers, and we know what to do. Right? We're trained better than he is by him. And it can get discouraging. I'll throw the thing. Come on, bring it, bring it, bring it. And he'll bring it like 10 feet away and look at me wagging his tail. And I get discouraged. You know what I do? I go inside and sit and watch TV. Pedro doesn't bring me an animal, a toy at all. When I want him to. When he wants to, he brings it to me. Because I'm trained, not him. It can get discouraging. Because I'm dealing with a hardened mind of a dog. And Paul says, listen, we are not going to lose heart. We are not going to get discouraged. We know, verse 14 of chapter 3, that their minds are hardened. We know that there remains this veil that is only lifted through Christ when he takes it away. But knowing this, we are not going to be discouraged. Why? Because verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3, only through Christ is it taken away. When one turns to the Lord and the veil is removed. Paul understands that, 
that, that it's not his own power that removes the veil. It's not his own power that breaks away the hardness. He does not depend on his own power. He depends on God to do what only God can do, change hearts. And we must do the same. We think about reaching the world. We think about the message that we carry. We think about the task of sharing the gospel with that coworker we share the gospel with over and over and over again, and their heart is hardened. We do not lose heart. We do not get discouraged. We do not grow weary. We do not give up. Why? Because we know it is the work of God in their life that brings life change. He says in chapter 3, verse 4 to 5, he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Paul carried out a ministry that was utterly dependent upon God's sufficiency, not on himself. Listen, as we desire to reach the world, as we take the gospel, as we share the gospel, we cannot make the mistake of thinking that we are responsible for life change. We cannot put that burden on us. We can't confuse our role and God's role. God is sufficient to bring life change. We are not. And we can't lose sight of that. Now, I I recognize that there might be some sitting here who are skeptical. Some who would sit and say, how can you say that I've been blinded? Scripture says that I've been blinded, that my mind is hardened. I think my mind is open. I'm I'm a free thinker. I'm not oppressed by your claims of truth. How can you say that I'm hardened? I I, I would ask, if that's the case, that that the church is the one that is hardening, that the church, church is oppressive and restricting thinking, that this is not the truth, I would ask this, what then leads to human flourishing? On what foundation has man built his morality upon? What defends and protects life? What strengthens and leads families to flourish? What transforms entire cultures for good? Is it not the message of Christianity? Is it not the message of the gospel? Is it not Jesus Christ? Like, would, would you be so ignorant and so blinded that you would ignore a culture that is all around us that has forgotten God and is spinning out of control? Would you say that apart from God, all is good and all is free and all will flourish? When you look at culture that has divorced itself from God and we do not see flourishing, we do not see control, we do not see peace, we see chaos. If you do not see these things, then my friend, I would say you have been blinded. And I would say your heart is hardened and I would say that you need the light of Christ to shine upon you and to rip away the veil that clouds your sight that would be our prayer now believers we face a temptation that Paul gets into in verse 2 of chapter 4 when the temptation comes upon us when when we start to get discouraged and we start to grow weary And we long for conversions. We long to see our child come to Christ. We long to see our co-worker be given sight to see and behold the glory of God. And it just didn't happen. And we get discouraged and we, we start thinking, well, what can I do? What can I say? Maybe I say it a different way. Maybe if I'm more winsome. 
Maybe if I do this, or, or maybe if I tweak this, they'll listen. This is where the message is quickly lost. This is where we lose the gospel because the message gets softened. The methods become extravagant and showy. And we fail to remember that 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 which we win people with is what we win people to. And so, all of a sudden we have people sitting in our churches that if there's not some experience that makes me feel a certain way, then I just don't think it's for me. Because they've been one with an experience. They've been one with an emotion. Or if it's not showy and there's not fog and lights and all these things going on and this concert-like experience, then it's just not worship because they've been one with an experience. We have to be careful at this point. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, we are not going to dilute the word to gain popularity. We are not going to seek to tickle ears of those who hear. We're not going to try to make it sound like these human philosophies or strategies or programs to make it where it's more likable to you. Paul says, we understand that the gospel is not some 12-step program to a better life. No, there is one step that you would repent and believe upon Jesus Christ for salvation. Paul is not going to dilute it. He's not going to make it sweeter or better, for nothing could be sweeter or better than this, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, showing His love for you. What could be sweeter than that? What could be better than that? We're not going to dilute, add to, sugarcoat anything. The theme of our song is repent and believe upon Jesus Christ. That is our message. That is our goal. That is our task is to take forth that message unto the world. Verse 3, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who's the image of God the condition what's the condition he tells us what's the condition of those we evangelize people that just aren't good enough people that don't go to church people that just don't say the right things don't dress the right right way don't like the music I like no the condition is that they are perishing the condition is that they are blinded. So the goal is to rescue the perishing. The goal is to give sight to the blind. Those who are perishing, he says. I think that's significant. He does not say those who have perished. Those who are perishing. The end is not written. The veil is upon the lost. They need Christ to unveil them. They need to hear the gospel. Because it is the gospel that speaks light into their blindness. It's the gospel, it is the power of God working in them that breaks away the hardness of heart, the hardness of mind. Now notice what he says there. You see what he says in their case, verse 4? In their case, the God of this world has blinded what? The minds. He he didn't blind the eyes, he's blinded the minds. What does he mean? 
We, we talked about several weeks ago the, the, the fact that, that God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We've talked about Romans 12 where we see the importance of, of not being conformed to this world but being transformed by the renewing of your minds. We've read, read Paul's words in, in Galatians in the past where he, he talks about that it, it's this, this thing with the mind, that the mind of the unbeliever is, is trapped, is deceived. You must not neglect, you must not overlook, you must not underestimate the importance of your mind. You need to understand that we are daily sold a message. We are daily walking through a land assaulted with false messages, philosophies, and narratives that would seek to deceive us. And there are those walking through this world who have not come to Christ, and they have been blinded in the mind. Listen, parents, you have to hear this. You have to hear it. The minds of your children are at stake. What better strategy of the adversary than to deceive the minds of your children? To help them buy into these false narratives, these false ideas. You think you're the only voice speaking into your child's life? You are wrong. There are a million voices speaking into their lives every day on social media, textbooks, shows, songs. What are those messages? How are they seeking to deceive and harden the minds of your children? You have to understand. You have to know. You have to be aware. You have to engage them at that level. You have to speak to your children. Guide them. Walk them through the twists and turns of life. Help them to see the false narratives. Help them to see the truth. Help them to see the plumb line of God's Word. That you can, you can go and go, okay, if I want to drop a line from that corner right there, I can go and I can try to put this here. I think this is in the corner, and I can get pretty close. But if I drop a plumb line from that corner, it's going to hit the exact point down here. That's God's Word, is the plumb line. But see, what's happening is, is there's this narrative being sold all around to all of us, not just children, all of us. And it's going, no, here's the truth right here. No, this is the truth. This is the truth. No, this is the truth. And some of them are closer than others. Some of them look really appealing. And you go, oh, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Until you measure it by the plumb line of true truth. And you see that it's wrong. You see, truth, quote-unquote, that's just a little untrue, is completely untrue. Students, you need to take heed. You need to guard your minds. You need to know what you believe. You need to know the gospel message, that there is hope only in Christ. And in Christ alone. Don't, don't buy the false narratives. Don't buy the ideas that look really close or sound really good. You are in the, are in the midst of a battle for your mind. But you wield the weapon that can free the mind, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the gospel that Paul refers to twice in these verses. He just says the gospel. The gospel, what does he mean? Well, we read it, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5. Paul clarifies the gospel in other places in his writing that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, we understand Paul writes, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In Romans 3, 23 to 24, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, that you are saved by His grace alone. That is the gospel message, and it is good news. It is good news that God has made a way for man to be saved and reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, it is good news to me and to you because it is about me, it's about you, and it is for you and it is for me. You understand that? This isn't some message that's just out there that just sounds good this message when we hear the good news that God has sent Jesus Christ his one only son to die for sinners that is a message about me that God sent Christ to die for me when I when I read and I read of Christ hanging on the cross as an object of God's wrath poured out against sin that's my sin The message of the gospel is about God's work for me. It's about God's work for you. There is a personal side of the gospel. That's why it's good news. That's why it's not just this theory that's out there that we talk about. It is something that we cling to. It's something we trust. And it's something that God uses to bring good news, to bring the light of Christ into our lives, to change our lives for His glory and our good. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. Look at verse 5. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Christ's sake. Listen, I think verse 5 ties back up into verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He talks about what we've just spoken about, about being blinded in mind, the gospel, not tampering with God's word, but speaking in truth to commend ourselves. But we do not lose heart. Why? Because it's God's work in us. We don't lose heart in ministry. We don't lose heart in evangelism and our desire to reach the world. Why? Because it is not ourselves that we preach. I would get really discouraged if your eternal condition and state depended upon me. You you would be done. But it doesn't. I I don't come and I don't preach myself. I don't say, listen, the solution is, is me. Follow me. Listen to me. No, no, that is not the message. The message is that the message is Christ. The message is, I'm not preaching myself, I'm preaching Christ. I'm preaching the gospel, I'm preaching the good news that you're saved through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We don't preach a philosophy, we don't preach our church. Our message is that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
We don't exist for our renown. We don't exist so that the name of Grace Baptist is known among all the churches around the globe. We exist so that the renown of Christ is just echoing across the world. We exist and we desire to reach the world with the gospel of Christ because we want them to love Christ. We want the world and the nations to worship Christ. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. Hear that Jesus is Lord. Grace Baptist is not Lord. Todd Meadows is not Lord. You are not Lord. There's no philosophy that reigns supreme. No, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is highly exalted. He is magnificent. He is mighty. And He is the one who has made salvation known unto us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And we read finally in verse 6. The reason that Paul proclaimed Christ, the reason that he clung to the gospel was that God gave the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. (laughs) God's work in his life. God's work in his life. And look what he draws upon. Look what he draws upon. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. What's he talking about? He's drawing upon creation, Genesis 1-3. He's bringing our thought back to the God who spoke creation into existence. The God who spoke light into darkness. Let there be light and there was light. Oh, the glories of God. The glories of the gospel. He did not just speak light this time. He sent light. He did not just speak and let there be light. He sent the Son of God. He sent Christ into the world to be the light, to shine the light. So that we read in, in 517, 2 Corinthians 517, he comes on back around to this idea that, that God creates in us anew when he does a work of salvation. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <laughs> That's the message. The message is that you're not changed, you're not healed, you're not forgiven by me. You're not changed or healed or forgiven by some philosophy, some idea, some strategy, some analytical tool. No, you're healed, you're forgiven, you're redeemed by the work of Christ in your life. You're made new by God's power. The the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts, in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh man, we could be here all day. There's a lot we could talk about here but we can't what a beautiful beautiful message we have to share what an incredible confidence that we stand upon that it's not about me it's not my power it's not my ability It's the work of God. What an incredible assurance that we have, a hope that we have that the God who saves Saul the persecutor is able to save the vilest criminal or the most religious do-gooder you know. The one that you would say there is no way they would enter the door of a church is not beyond the grace of God. And the one who you say, man, he's one of the best guys I know, is not so good that he does not need Christ. Both need Christ. This is our message.
This is our message. So unbeliever, the application is very simple. Turn from your sins and believe in Christ. Turn to the Lord. Turn to Him. The one who can take away your blindness. The one who breaks the hardness of mind. Turn to Christ. And believer, the application for us is quite simple as well. Maintain gospel integrity. Don't water it down. Don't try to make it better. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't lose sight of the message God has entrusted to you. Maintain gospel integrity. And learn to articulate it. You, you know that educationally, right? That it's one thing to know something and be able to write the correct multiple choice answer. It's another thing to be able to write it out, articulate it. Let's move from being able to select A, B, C, or D on what the gospel is to being ready that if someone said, hey, could you just summarize the gospel in one minute? You say, yeah, here it is. And at that point, we just share it. We share it at Baxter's. We share it in our living rooms. We share it in the hallways. We just share it. Because we are the people of God on the mission of God to reach the world with the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you. You are. You are a great and a gracious and a mighty God. Lord, we stand as those who have been saved because you shine the light of the glory of Christ in our hearts. You removed our spiritual blindness. Thank you for making your salvation known. Thank you. And I pray for friends in here who are living with blinded minds. They are living with the veil pulled over. They do not see your glory. They do not see that you are Lord of lords. God, would you shine light into their hearts that they would behold your glory and that they would turn to you in faith. Oh God, please do that. Please. And God, raise this church up to be a church who, who gossips the gospel. I think it was J.I. Packer that said that, Lord. He's gone on to be with you this week. And let us be those who can't help but talk of you and your good news. God, set our gaze on you and on reaching the world.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. His living